Dominus Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum One of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? They paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that time on, he looked for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first, first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples approached Jesus and said, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time draws near. In your house I shall celebrate the Passover with my disciples. The disciples then did as Jesus had ordered and prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Amen, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed at this, they began to say to him one after another, Surely it is not I, Lord. He said in reply, he who has dipped his hand into the dish with me is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had never been born. Then Judas, his betrayer, said in reply, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. He answered, You have said so. On this Wednesday, leading into the Easter Triduum, it, this, this day is commonly known as Spy Wednesday. This is the day that Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, betrayed our Lord. And I think when we read this passage, and I'm sure we've read this many, many times throughout our lives, but perhaps whenever we read one of the twelve, we kind of skip over that part. You know, we don't really give that a, a, enough thought. One of the twelve. This is one of the ones that Jesus had chosen himself to be his apostles. One of the twelve. This is one of the ones that he had chosen to be one of the first bishops in the church. So this is one of the ones who was the closest to Jesus. One of his inner family. And yet it was this one, one of the twelve, that turned against him, that betrayed him. And perhaps we don't think enough of just how devastating that would have been, not just to Jesus, you know, who had chosen him himself, 
but also to the other 12. You know, how, even how much of a scandal that would have been to all of them. That one of that inner circle had betrayed him. But if we, we look at closer at Judas and the fact that he betrayed our Lord, we can see a few things about him, maybe even a few clues from Scripture that point to his upcoming betrayal, to the fact that he would turn our Lord over. Because his heart, even though he was chosen, even though he was one of the, the, one of the twelve, perhaps he never fully believed. He followed along with Jesus. You know, he could certainly play the part of one of the twelve. He could appear to be one of them, appear to be a believer, and yet perhaps he never fully gave the assent of faith. He never fully believed. Perhaps he had his own motives for following Jesus. You know, we don't know for sure, and of course we cannot judge Judas ourselves. We can only base our judgment of Judas based on what our Lord and what the Scriptures say about Judas. And one thing that the Scriptures tell us is that he was a thief, that he used to steal the collections, the contributions. And one thing that was a turning point for Judas, you know, he may have already been, you know, stirring up these, you know, sentiments against Jesus, you know, and was maybe unhappy with the way Jesus was doing things, whatever it might be, but he was keeping that all to himself. And then the last straw for him was when that woman poured out all of that expensive oil on Jesus, anointed his feet. And, and Judas, you know, cried, he couldn't take it anymore. He cries out and he says, that could have been sold for 300 days wages and given to the poor. And of course, the scriptures tell us that he, did, he cared nothing before the poor. It wasn't that he cared for the poor. It was the fact that so much money was being poured out on Jesus, you know, that so much was being wasted on Jesus, and he couldn't take it anymore. And that was the last straw when he finally makes the decision to go and to hand Jesus over to the chief priest. What will you give me? You know, perhaps he was thinking that he was going to get something. He was going to get some sort of monetary contribution or some sort of monetary gain by following Jesus. And when he realizes that he's not going to get this, he goes to the chief priest and says, maybe I can get something for turning Jesus in. I mean, I'm, I'm, a lot of this is speculation. Part of it is based on the readings and based on scriptures. So we can see that Judas, you know, there was a lot that was in darkness. A lot of his works and a lot of his thoughts and his designs were in darkness, that he would not expose it to the light. And this is something that Jesus talks about when he's talking to Nicodemus. He says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. 
And we could see this perfectly being played out with Judas. And even when Jesus gives Judas the opportunity to repent. And that's what we see in this reading today. Jesus, you know, he, he does not want Judas to be condemned. He loves Judas. And he's giving Judas every opportunity to repent. And you'll notice that Jesus could have easily pointed to G- Judas. He could have easily called him out directly. He could have shamed him. He could have, you know, whatever it was. But he chose to allow Judas, he respected Judas' free will, so much so that he allowed Judas to even carry out this act. And even after Jesus gave him the opportunity to repent, you know, he called it out throughout, you know, with all of the apostles there. One of you will betray me. This was an opportunity, this was an invitation for Judas to come clean and to repent, to turn back to the Lord but his heart was set against him. And this is a scary thought. You know, he's right there in the midst of Jesus. He's right there in Jesus' presence. He sees that Jesus wants to be merciful to him. He even warns him, Jesus warns him, it would be better for that man never to have been born than to betray the Son of Man. Even though the Son of Man will lay down his life, Woe to that man who turns the the Son of Man over. He's, He's giving Judas a warning. You're going to lose your soul if you do this. And so this this goes to show, this puts to rest that whole notion that we are not capable of mortal sin. That we are not capable of turning against the Lord. Because you see, even the apostles, when they heard this, they didn't immediately think, oh, it's going to be Judas. They thought, is it it I, Lord? Am I the one who's going to turn you over? So even they were not sure of themselves. And they showed their humility in that. They 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 didn't have any designs to turn Jesus over to the authorities. But they still thought to themselves. And they even said to the Lord, is Is it I? Surely it's not I, Lord. And then you notice what Judas says. Judas says, surely it is not I, Rabbi. He doesn't even call Jesus Lord. You can see that he doesn't have the same faith that the others have in him. And Jesus says colloquially, yes, it is you. So even after he's pointed out as the one who will betray Jesus. He still has another opportunity to repent. And yet he goes and turns Jesus over to the authorities. So again, you know, we must be vigilant. We must constantly be vigilant. It doesn't matter, even if we've been following Jesus for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and we think that we've been faithful our entire life, it only takes that one time you know, perhaps we've been allowing things to harbor in ourselves, you know, allowing certain thoughts to harbor within us. You know, we're keeping certain works in darkness and we're not exposing it to the light. You know, eventually it's going to break. Eventually that's going to crack. And so it's important for us to make sure that we examine ourselves and we're not keeping anything in the darkness. And how do we expose things to the light? I'm not saying that you know, we, we immediately just start telling everyone everything that we've ever done. But we, what do we do? We, we go to confession. 
You know, sometimes it happens that people go to confession and they're ashamed to bring certain sins to light. And what happens when they don't bring those sins to light? I'm talking about mortal sins because we're, we're required to confess every mortal sin by name and by number. And when we don't confess a mortal sin, when we refuse or when we bring, don't bring something into the light, we actually add to our sin. You know, our sins are not forgiven. The, the sacrament of confession is invalid at that point. Even if the priest gives absolution, it's not going to hold because the person hasn't confessed something that they know. You know, I'm talking about sins that we know, that we haven't confessed. The, the sacrament becomes invalid. And then another sin is added on top of that, the sin of sacrilege. So it's, it's, it's important for us to make sure that we constantly examine ourselves and examine ourselves every night. You know, this is when we make the examination of conscience to really make sure that we're not holding on to anything that would be works of darkness. We're not holding on to any unforgiveness. We're not holding on to any jealousy, any envy. You know, we're not holding on to any attachments, any inordinate attachments to this world. So that way, when we come to that day, when we stand before Jesus, we should be totally transparent. And at the same time, we can say to the Lord, Lord, you know, you are the one who have brought me to this point. You know, I cannot save myself. It is you and only you who can save me. It is by your grace that I have been brought to this point, and it's by your grace that I continue to live. 